ever knew. I don't know what politician you have reference to. Well, it is a surprise. This song reminds me of the song they sang in Citizen Kane. Do you know that one? There is a man, a famous man. And for the poor, you can be sure that he'll do all he can. I hope three people know what I'm talking about. There was a song in Citizen Kane that sounds like this copyright-expired song, which is, of course, Barney Google by Ernest Hare and Billy Jones. That's Ernest Hare and Billy Jones' second appearance on this podcast. They also sang Hinky Dinky Parley Vu. They must have been huge in the 20s. They must have been huge. And yet, I had never heard of them before I started doing this. Just a reminder that nothing we do matters, and we will all be dust in the wind soon. Hey, here's some exciting news. As I record this, it is 2022, and therefore a new batch of songs is graduating into the copyright-expired catalog. All of 1922's music is now copyright-expired, so we have got some hot jams coming up. On the podcast, I'm talking Bugle Call Rag. I'm talking The Little Red Schoolhouse, Bee's Knees, My Sweet Hortense, Toot Toot Tootsie Goodbye, all of these banging tunes and many, many more will be part of the copyright expired songs we feature on this podcast here, which is, by the way, I Might Be Wrong. You are listening to the audio version of I Might Be Wrong, which is my Substack and can be found at imightbewrong.substack.com. I'm Jeff Maurer. I hope everyone had a good break. I did. My wife and I went down to see my family for Christmas, having seen her family a few weeks before for a celebration of the Jewish holiday of... I forget. Kashyyyk? Does that sa- That's the planet Chewbacca's from. I don't remember which Jewish holiday it was, but it was a lovely time. Her family are fantastic people. Good times were had, and I hope you had a great break, whether you are, as they once said on The Simpsons, Christian, Jew, or miscellaneous. <laughs> Why do we do today's episode? Enough screwing around. Today's episode is titled, The Next Month Will Be Huge for Science, Government, and Nerds, Generally Speaking. I wanted to write this one because it's about the James Webb Space Telescope, which I think is very exciting. It's a major development in space. I am a space hobbyist. I have no background in physics, much less astrophysics. I don't understand any of that stuff. I think the Earth is flat and balanced on the back of a turtle. So I'm a little outside my wheelhouse, but I really do find this stuff interesting. And I wanted to write about it, especially because because NASA's involved, it is also a big moment for government. So the title of the article is... The next month will be huge for science, government, nerds, generally speaking. Subheading, a new telescope will either expand our horizons or empower cynics. So, this Christmas Eve saw a continuation of one of the government's weirdest traditions, which is NORAD's corny, hey, we're tracking Santa on our radar bit. This is without a doubt, the crappiest comedy bit by any transnational military organization. If you don't know, it's a tradition that goes back to 1948, and NORAD, which is the group tasked with watching for incoming nuclear annihilation from Russia, that group does a little lighthearted holiday shtick for the kiddies. One of those famous military comedy bits. They always go, "Uh uh-oh, look at this. 
We have an unidentified sleigh pulled by eight tiny reindeer entering our airspace. Hopefully this happens at a moment when nuclear doom is not approaching from the north. At any rate, NORAD has gone so far <laughs> as to make a Santa tracker app. I wonder how many friendly fire incidents a soldier has to be involved in before they get sentenced to run NORAD's Santa tracker app. Some people like it, so, you know, great to each his own. But how do you even bring this up with your kid? What do you go, hey, Junior, why don't we pop over to NORAD's webpage and see what's going on? Isn't your kid going to go, NORAD? What the fuck? Yeah, NORAD, you know, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, the joint military venture between the U.S. and Canada that monitors our shared airspace. Why don't we just, like we always do, casually saunter on over to their webpage and, you know, let's just see what's happening. Oh, hey, look, reports of a sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. There's a chance your kid's going to go, do we know it's not an intercontinental ballistic missile? At which point you have to go, look, it's just a bit, okay? It's a bit that the government does. It's shtick. The government's doing shtick for some reason I can't understand. So NORAD, as they always do, got the attention on Christmas. The weird thing is, this year, there happened to be an infinitely more purposeful joint government venture taken to the skies. And I'm talking, of course, about the James Webb Space Telescope. It's a crappy name. JWST. Aren't all acronyms supposed to spell something these days? What's JWST? JWST is nothing. But name aside, the James Webb Space Telescope launched on Christmas. This is a huge moment. This is a huge moment in space exploration. This telescope is either going to be one giant leap for mankind or one huge-ass fireball that will incinerate three decades of work and untold amounts of space funding in the future. This project also happens to come at a time when government agencies are facing a crisis of credibility. I feel like they could really use a win. And as someone who cares about both space exploration and good governance, former line ladies, space exploration and good governance, I do feel that the stakes are very high. The JWST, Juist, I'm just going to call it the Webb Telescope from now on. The Webb Telescope is the successor to the Hubble. The Hubble, though initially mocked as a failure, more on that in a bit, it has been enormously successful. The Hubble was built to work for 15 years. It's lasted more than 30. It's made more than 1.3 million observations. That is a Seinfeldian rate of observing things. 1.3 million observations. Its data have been published in more than 15,000 scientific papers. It might be the most productive scientific instrument ever built. Also, it's produced mind-blowing images that are in the public domain. You know how I feel about things in the public domain, so I do encourage you to go to NASA's Hubble Space Telescope images page. You will find mind-blowing photos. I'm, I'm being sincere for a rare moment here. Mind-blowing photos. It is incredible to me that this stuff exists in the universe. They look like they're CGI rendered. They're not. This is stuff that is out there in the galaxy. It fries my brain to know that stuff like this is out there in the galaxy. I am, I'm awestruck, honestly, by the things human beings know. The knowledge we have of the world around us. We know 
the age of the universe, the size of our galaxy. We know how the planets formed. We know the basic story of how all things came to be. On our planet, at least, this knowledge is unique to us, unique to human beings. I sometimes, I will look at these photos, I will ponder the amazing advances made by humankind in our very brief time on Earth, and then I just turn to my cat and go, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Look what I know that you don't. Back to the Webb Telescope now. The Webb Telescope is the Hubble Telescope's successor. It is a hundred times more powerful than Hubble. It can see Lincoln's face on a penny from 24 miles away, thus allowing us to scrounge for loose change on other planets. It can see infrared light. Hubble only sees visible light. Webb picks up light in other parts of the spectrum. Now, this is a big deal. Right now, the most powerful infrared space telescope in history is the Spitzer Space Telescope. Spitzer's mirror is 0.85 meters across. Webb's mirror is 6.6 meters across. Suffice it to say, the Spitzer Space Telescope sucks, all right? It is a piece of shit. What a hot diaper full of horse semen. No wonder we named it for the disgraced governor of New York before the disgraced governor of New York before the disgraced governor of New York we just replaced. It has been three in a row for us now. Maybe it's us. At any rate, infrared vision is the thing. Infrared vision makes more stars visible. And I have a comparison a picture on the written version of this episode, which is at imightbewrong.substack.com. And you can see it if you are looking at your computer or phone, but if not, I will describe it to you now. It is better. That's the comparison. Before it was good, now it's better. You can see more shit, to use a technical term. So, infrared vision is going to make the universe look all bedazzled and shit, is the way I would describe it. Very bedazzled and shit. It lets us see far back in time to the early, early days of the universe. Webb will be able to see objects that formed only, and in the context of space-time, this is only 100 million years. That's not very long on galactic timescales. Only 100 million years after the Big Bang. The oldest objects Hubble can see date to roughly 400 million years after the Big Bang. Meanwhile, Spitzer, of course, couldn't spot an old galaxy if it kicked it in the dick. But Webb we'll be able to see way back to the early days of the universe. Some have called these early images baby pictures, which I think is a great way to make one of humanity's awe-inspiring achievements seem trite and uninteresting. Nonetheless, we will learn more about how galaxies formed. We will also, and I think this is really exciting, learn a lot about life on other planets. Scientists plan to observe Enceladus and Europa, two moons that seem to have oceans beneath icy surfaces. Previous missions saw plumes of water vapor on these moons, so Webb will analyze the plumes to search for signs of life. Webb will also look at planets outside our solar system and tell us about those planets' mass, their atmosphere, their color, seasons, rotation, weather, and even the possible presence of vegetation. That's very exciting to me. They can do this by analyzing a very faint dot. I don't understand that at all, but hey, I don't even understand why they can't put Webb in front of Hubble and make them as powerful as both telescopes put together. Has somebody floated this idea? It sounds like a really good idea to me. What if you lined up like three webs in a row? Probably somebody at NASA has brought this up. At any rate, 
what I do and don't understand isn't important. What's important is that we're going to learn more about possible life in the universe. Or, you know, not. This is an incredibly sensitive mission. Web program scientist John Mather called the project, quote, about the hardest thing we've ever done for NASA astronomy, end quote. As I record this, the telescope has been launched successfully, but we're not out of the woods yet. It's going to deploy itself over about a month. That process involves 344 what they call unique point failure items. Basically 344 places you could fuck up. A failure at any of those 344 points could doom the mission because Webb is going to be too far from Earth to be repaired. You can't send astronauts up there to repair it. This is high-stakes stuff. If Webb <laughs> had exploded during its launch on Christmas Day, someone at NASA was going to have to turn to camera and say, ho, 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 that was $10 billion and 25 years worth of work that just vaporized into the atmosphere. Thankfully, that didn't happen, but we are still months away from the telescope being operational. I am happy that the launch happened successfully. Launches are always risky, plus the rocket was European-made, so it's probably some three-cylinder stick-shift piece of shit that runs on diesel. But it worked! The telescope is in space. It's on the way, but there's a lot still to do. The possibility that Webb won't successfully deploy, that it won't work, that we will have just launched a thing into space that doesn't ultimately work, that reality forces us to remember just how disastrous Hubble's early days were. Hubble's mirror... When they launched it, it was just ever so slightly misshapen. So in its early days, it returned out-of-focus images, images of almost Spitzer-like crappiness. I mean, these things were not good. They had to repair it. A repair mission conducted three years after it launched did correct those problems. But during those three years, Hubble was a symbol of government incompetence. I'm 41. I really remember that. It was a laughingstock. Jay Leno, especially, Jay Leno, I mean everyone, but him before all others, helped cement Hubble's image as an expensive failure. And that's not just my memory talking. Researching this article, I found a 2009 article that talks about Leno's role. And I found one from 2015, and another one from 2015, and another one from 2018. Again, these are linked to in the written version of this episode. People at NASA, people in the know are saying, yeah, Jay Leno, that really that really affected things. One of the articles even relays a joke from an early 90s Tonight Show broadcast, which I'm going to tell now. The joke is, hey, what sound does a space turkey make? Hubble, Hubble, Hubble. Kaboom! Oh, he got you, NASA. He destroyed you. He called you a space turkey. I didn't even know you could say space turkey on NBC. Zing! Zing, I say. Oh, my God. Now, clearly I'm being an ass. And let me say that as a long-time late-night gag wrangler myself, I used to write for last week tonight, if you don't know, I am forced to think and forced is the right way to put it, about the impact comedy has on the real world. For all of the John Oliver skull fucks the Electoral College headlines that we got when I was at last week tonight, in most cases, it's pretty damn clear that we didn't change a goddamn thing. It would be a cruel irony 
if the exception to the, hey, nothing you do matters rule <laughs> happens to be Jay Leno cracking jokes about the Hubble telescope, a program that ended up being one of the most successful projects in scientific history. And to be clear, I do not blame Leno for the jokes. Not one bit. You cannot blame Leno for those jokes. If NASA spends 15 years and $1.5 billion in 1990 dollars when a new house costs like 10000 if they spend 15 years and $1.5 on a telescope that doesn't fucking work, what are you supposed to do? Go, hey, nice try, and throw NASA parade? No. Jokes are inbounds. But it is unfortunate that Hubble's early struggles, it probably contributed in some way to Grover Norquist-style anti-government nihilism. It probably also contributed a little bit to mistrust of experts. And if you're thinking about the effect that Hubble had on the bureaucracy, which before I wrote for John Oliver, I was a federal employee. So government efficiency is another thing that I am doomed to think about. If you think about the effect Hubble had on the bureaucracy, it really definitely made the bureaucracy slower moving and less efficient. Now, I've written about this before. I've written about how terrified bureaucrats are of congressional hearings. Hearings basically play the same role in a political appointee's career that the sandworms do in Dune. They're just a source of constant terror. Political appointees absolutely shit themselves in fear when they imagine being dragged before Congress, especially if anybody is watching. That Hubble mistake, the misshapen mirror, that led to high-profile hearings, the most dangerous type of hearings, high-profile hearings in front of Congress. NASA bigwigs were hauled before Congress one by one, and by the way, none of them were allowed to yell, well, then you make a fucking space telescope if you're so goddamn smart. You're not allowed to say that to the Senate. It was a PR disaster for NASA. It was a major career setback for basically everyone involved, and any politico would gladly trade what's left of their soul to avoid that situation. This fear, as you can probably figure, that contributes to a risk-averse mentality. The dominant thought in many bureaucrats' minds is, just don't screw up. Just don't screw up. One of the reasons why I am pro-private space exploration, while also being pro-NASA, is that the private sector operates under more normal risk-reward calculus. They can do things NASA can't do. Specifically, the private sector can fuck up sometimes. And this helps them reduce costs, because the cost of taking a project from 99% certainty to 99.999% certainty, that cost can be enormous. And I've written about this in an article called Weird-Ass Billionaires Are a Gift to NASA, which is also on my Substack. So I am pro private space travel, and also pro-NASA. Because NASA is great at building things. They are great at building things. They're just awful at controlling costs or delivering things on time. The Webb Telescope, great as it is, it is billions of dollars over budget, and it is 14 years late. There is an Atlantic article called Too Much of a Good Thing at NASA by Marina Karen, K-O-R-E-N, that talks about what she calls Hubble psychology, which I would summarize as an obsession with avoiding mistakes. Under this psychology, delays and cost overruns, those are kind of okay. Those are acceptable. After all, once you've spent a few billion dollars, 
you'll probably have success if you go before the Senate Committee on the Sunk Cost Fallacy and ask for a billion or maybe even two billion more. That's all okay. What is not acceptable, what is verboten under this mindset is a high visibility fuck up. People will go to incredible lengths to avoid having Jay Leno call them a space turkey. If the Webb telescope ultimately doesn't work, there is going to be a fresh round of backlash against experts and government agencies. A lot of it is going to be <laughs> of the variety that's like, ah, what kind of an idiot fucks up the aft palette deployment of a near-infrared spectrograph? Come on! As if we all do aft palette deployments of near-infrared spectrographs all the time. But that won't make the criticism illegitimate. People have a right to expect their government to work. That's especially true given the take-every-precaution environment that we've created. The only benefit of time-consuming, expensive, caution-fetishizing processes is that at least when you get to the end of the process, the thing fucking works. The thing is, I just really don't want a the-experts-are-all-dummies moment right now. Please not right now. COVID has been a Hubble times a million event for many institutions, and it has been disappointing and disorienting, to say the least. Just recently, there was an article about how CDC Director Rochelle Walensky used a misleading study to inform her decision about school mask mandates. This type of thing, it is a maddening, unforced error by the CDC, and I'm sorry to say it is not their first. The last thing we need right now is yet another event that shakes our faith in institutions and expertise in the form of a $10 billion satellite turning into $40 worth of scrap metal somewhere over South America. Let's get back to some positivity, though. The Webb Telescope really could be a generation-defining scientific achievement on the order of Hubble. It could advance our knowledge of the universe in countless ways. It could also demonstrate the viability of intergovernmental projects. It is, after all, a collaboration between NASA, which oversaw most of the telescope construction, the European Space Agency, which built the rocket, and the Canadian Space Agency, which is providing soda and snacks for the launch. So cute that they have a space agency. Of course, if Webb succeeds, it's probably going to get a fraction of the attention that it would have gotten if it failed. That's just how things work. For whatever reason, NASA shoots 10 billion down galactic toilet is just a juicier story than, hey, we know how the universe was formed. That is, for whatever reason, just the way news works. That environment does help to create the extreme risk aversion that leads to bloated budgets and timeframes, which in turn feeds negative views of government. I don't quite know what to do about that. I don't quite know what to do about the fact that things work best when people trust experts and institutions, but that experts and institutions don't always deserve their trust. I just know that I would really like to see the institutional experts put a W on the board right here. In researching this piece, I came across a blog post by, oddly enough, Jay Leno's former head writer, a guy named Joe Toplin. Now, despite the fact that reading a blog post from some ex-late-night comedy writer struck me as the world's most colossal waste of time. I did read it anyway. 
In his post, Toplin talks about an encounter he had with, believe it or not, one of the astronauts who repaired the Hubble. Toplin speaks very highly of this guy. He speaks highly of the astronaut. He even has kind words for the Hubble telescope, calling it the tool scientists used to unravel the secrets of the universe. Reading this post made the paradox I just described seem a little less paradoxical. After all, a guy who surely wrote more than his fair share of jokes about the Hubble still understood the scale of the achievement, which kind of proves that criticism does not have to turn into cynicism. And that is a very important distinction in my head between criticism and cynicism. Hopefully, that distinction is clear in most people's heads. Of course, if the telescope had turned into a fiery ball of wreckage on Christmas morning, possibly taking out Santa in the process, it would have been hard to avoid cynicism in that situation. Luckily, it did launch, though it could still turn into a $10 billion piece of space junk, which would be bad. We do need the telescope. We don't need the cynicism, which is why I'm really, really, really hoping the damn thing works. And that's the episode. I am pleased to report that as I record this, the Webb Telescope is going along just fine. They have deployed the heat shield, which looks like a big version of one of those silver blankets they give you at the end of a marathon. It is a very tinfoil-looking thing. I assume they know what they're doing. It's probably not just like regular tinfoil that you get at the store, one would imagine. At any rate, I am very excited to see what happens, and I really can't wait to get pictures from this thing a couple months from now. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, it's free. So, you know, hey, what do you want? You can get this episode and all of my written work. There are more written pieces than recorded pieces. All of that can be found at imightberewrong.substack.com. Please share, subscribe, blah, 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 all that stuff. If you would like to pay me, that's fantastic. You do not have to. It's up to you. I will be back next week with another episode. So until then, thanks for listening and bye for now.